As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. A record surge in violent crime. It's time to raise the alarm. With major elections looming. Our law enforcement officers are under siege right now. I'm sick of getting woken up by gunshots at three in the morning. I'm sick of driving these roads with reckless drivers. This week on Open Record, worn out cops. Morale is at its all time low. And worked up politicians. A declaration of war against the First Amendment. As we explore the politics of public safety. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson. Amanda St. Hilaire is on assignment. And this week, I'm joined again by Fox 6 political reporter Jason Calvi. Hey, Jason. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me on. We are recording this episode on Thursday, February 3rd, 2022. And Jason, we're going to talk a lot today about the continuing surge in violent crime, at least in some major categories. And that has dominated the headlines in recent weeks. But it's important to note that this is happening at a time when politics are also heating up again, we've had the state legislature holding a slew of hearings in floor debates, a governor's race that's starting to take shape, and of course, the state's largest city is just a few weeks away from its first primary election for mayor in nearly 20 years where there's not an incumbent. So I imagine as a political reporter, it's an awfully busy time to be doing what you do. Oh, this is, I mean, yeah, this is, this is, this is incredibly busy. We've got, uh, we've got early voting already underway in the mayoral race. Uh, this is a primary where you've got seven people running to fill the vacancy of Tom Barrett. Tom Barrett, the long time mayor, nearly serving for 18 years. Uh, long, I mean, this, this, in these incumbent mayors, I mean, they, they tend to last for a very long time. It, it's very hard to defeat an incumbent mayor. If you look at the stats, uh, Milwaukee has had uh, since 1960, after uh, Mayor Zeidler left office, we've had three elected mayors. So this will be the fourth time since 1960 that we're having a new mayor elected into the city of Milwaukee. And I think I was talking to you about this off the podcast, Jason, but I came to Milwaukee and I feel like I've been here forever. I'm the most senior non-anchor reporter at Fox 6 News. Um, but I came here in 2004 and my son, who is now in high school, had not been born. My daughter, who was in college, was a year old and Tom Barrett was the mayor. <laughs> he was the brand yeah. new ma- So I've lived in Milwaukee my entire career as, a, as a, an investigative reporter for Fox 6 with one mayor in Milwaukee. So this is obviously a big change for the city and, and it seems like that's showing up in the a uh, number of candidates that are vying for this position. Oh yeah, definitely. And you're seeing, I mean, you're seeing the county sheriff, you're seeing the acting mayor, you're seeing former and current alder pe- members of the common council. I mean, business people, activists, you're seeing, and, and we really thought there was going to be even more people running, but this is a, a field of seven and it, it's really intense. Uh, you know, if you have a field of seven, 
potentially somebody could win the primary with 20% of the vote, maybe. I mean, so you're, you're going to have potentially the winner of this prime, the, the people, the two people, the two top vote getters will move on to the April 5th general election from this primary on February 14th. Um, those those two top vote getters could could get 20% of the vote and move on to the general election, um, which which just shows you how how tight this race could potentially be. Uh, is some of these people have support from various uh, uh, parts of the city, so it'll just be so fascinating to see how it all plays out when people come to the come to the ballot box. They're actually voting right now in early voting, and all those absentee ballots were sent out last week. Uh, people that have already requested them. So voting is really right now already underway. And there are any number of issues in a mayoral election that could be really big issues right now, just due to the timing, the way things have been going the last couple of years, a very big issue in Milwaukee and, and really across the country is the rise in violent crime. We're seeing it not just in Milwaukee, but in major cities all over the United States, but certainly it's been an issue here in Milwaukee. How is that playing into, or, or how will that factor into this election? Well, it is definitely playing out in the debates. We've seen candidates talking about about crime in in statements and in public events and in the debates. We were not debates, but we've had candidate forums rather, and they've been talking about their plans to cut crime. Uh, It's definitely on the hearts and minds of people in Milwaukee. So there was a recent poll conducted by a public policy polling, which is a national pollster. I mean, they're they're really they pretty they get pretty good. Ratings from uh, 538, which ranks various polling organizations, they get an A minus from 538. Uh, so it's a national, you know, well, well respected pollster, and they recently conducted a poll on behalf of Milwaukee Works, which is a, a nonprofit uh, organization here in Milwaukee, and they found that the top issue. So they asked, they asked likely Milwaukee voters, "What's your top issue for, for uh, the next mayor? What should be their top priority moving into this new administration?" The number one issue. Clear front runner, top issue, top of mind for for voters in Milwaukee. Fifty percent said crime, public safety. So it's really the number one issue. The the second most important issue for these likely voters was schools and education, coming in at sixteen percent, and then fifteen percent of respondents said jobs in the economy. So number one issue, crime and public safety, getting fifty percent of likely voters saying it's their number one issue for the next mayor. And and clearly. is a big number when you're talking about polling on a whole range of issues for one of them to get 50%. But what really stood out to me was that gap between one and two, that the second most the second sort of consensus for most important issue was was 16 percent, the schools and education. So clearly crime is at the top of the list right now, at least among those who are polled. That's that is right. And, and we're seeing that play out as well when we when we hear what what people are asking, what people want to, to know from the various candidates. And, and it makes sense. I mean, we we're coming off of two back to back years, 2020, 2021, where we've had the deadliest years in, in Milwaukee history as far as homicides. Uh, looking at the numbers, 2021 broke the record for the city. We had 194 homicides last year in Milwaukee. And then that beat the year before in 2020, this pandemic year where we had a surge in, in, in murders, we had 190 homicides. So right now in Milwaukee, we're at 2022 now, and we're seeing an increase in homicides from where we were last year, 2021. So if you look at the year-to-date numbers from the city of Milwaukee, the Milwaukee Police Department, uh, in 2021, there were, this time of year, 11 homicides. This time of year right now, 2022, 
you've got 25. So that's 127% increase in homicides from this year compared to where we were at this time last year. Now, in, in fairness, homicides obviously grabs attention because it's yes. the most severe crime there can be. And, and there has been an increase in other categories of crime. If we look back, and this is yes. something I was even just looking at this morning, we go back to 2017. So over the last five full years of data, rapes are up about 16% in a city. Aggravated assaults up 24%. But some other categories have, in fact, declined. Robberies are down almost 30%. Burglaries are down almost 50%. And thefts are down about 12%. Vehicle thefts, we know, are way, way up. That's another category that's just gone off the charts. Vehicle thefts are up 90% over the past five years. And in fact, they're up uh, more than that, really, over just over the past year, because 2021 was extraordinary. So we've got certain categories of crime, homicides, rapes, aggravated assaults, vehicle thefts, more than enough to dominate people's concerns, their sense of safety in the community, and obviously then dominate this election as well. And then it's hard to talk about these sorts of things without thinking of the high-profile cases recently, most notably the Waukesha Parade. And while that happened in Waukesha, it was an offender from Milwaukee who actually committed that offense or who's accused of committing that offense. And it was raised all the issues about bail reform. Now we've had police officers shot in rapid succession. The general sense, are you getting this when you talk to, to politicians from all stripes? Is, is there a general sense that they agree? Yeah, crime is out of control right now. They're, they're def yeah, I mean, you, you know, Democrats, Republicans are saying they're, they're sounding the alarm on on all of this. And, and, and so, for example, we're, we're seeing a number of candidates both for mayor and for governor, outlining what their plans are for for cutting crime, and and they've they've made their pitch uh, in places like Milwaukee. So we saw Rebecca Clayfish, who's Republican, former lieutenant governor, running to be the next governor of the state. She was in Milwaukee this week. She laid out what's been standard for her campaign. Some of the proposals that she's been laying out over the course of the last few months are to uh, to, to hire 1,000 new police officers for the state of Wisconsin as well. She wants to see the state patrol going into high crime areas to, to fill in uh, in, in some of these, uh, she calls it a surge, to have a surge of the state patrol into some high crime areas to to help cut down on, on crime. Uh, she wants, and, and again, when we hear about this topic, we're also hearing about uh, them talking about uh, making major changes to the bail to the bail system. And I know that's a topic, Brian, that you're the expert on and you've covered a lot of and in doing in-depth investigations into that particular topic. But again, that's playing out when we hear these candidates talking. I, I, would, I would use terms like expert loosely when you refer to me on that. But, you know, I have definitely uh, done a lot of research into it and become much more of an expert on that topic in the last few months than I ever thought I would be. But I think so many people are focused on that. And we'll talk more in depth about bail reform later. But it's definitely a signal of the concerns there are with the overall level of crime. And that's why this is such a, a hot issue right now. That's right. And, 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 and just to be fair, I want to, you know, we did mention Rebecca Clayfish's ideas for, for fighting crime in, in Milwaukee. She also says she's going to fire District Attorney John Chisholm, which ties in with this whole issue of bail. You know, the suspect in the Waukesha Christmas parade attack, he was out on $1,000 bail. Uh, and, and so that goes back to his, his offense, a previous offense uh, in Milwaukee County. And then uh, he was out on bail and then the, the Christmas parade happened. Um, 
Um, and and there's been a lot of questions directed to the district attorney about what happened there. He blamed it. He said it was a, a mistake of an overworked assistant district attorney. So he he kind of placed blame on on one of his uh, one of his assistants there in his department or his, his uh, in his office. And um, and and but there's still been calls for the governor to utilize state law to fire Chisholm. That is something that state law does say. It says the governor can remove a district attorney. For cause. And so if you look at the statute, there's there's a whole process there. There has to be a verified complaint by taxpayers of the jurisdiction uh, alleging various issues that have uh, have come up. And uh, and then the governor then can can start the process. Uh, There has to be due process. So there would be an investigation. There would be a chance for for the district attorney to make his argument in defense of his actions and things like that. Uh, There there was a group of taxpayers in Milwaukee County that did file what they thought was a verified complaint to the governor, the governor's attorney, and, and he did hire outside counsel to advise on that issue, found that the actual complaint was deficient. It didn't it didn't meet the statutory requirements for a verified complaint. Um, so the, the governor did dismiss that request to uh, to start the investigation to, that would lead potentially to firing of the district attorney. Uh, Nick uh, uh, Clayfish says no. She would just she she would fire she would fire this uh, this district attorney. So that's again playing out on the campaign. Um, Kevin Nicholson recently he just jumped into the governor's race last week and and he is criticizing Clayfish's plan to surge you know to send the the state patrol into these high crime areas. He says well there's only 500 state patrol officers right now. Uh, it's not a realistic solution to send a small force to, to then they're already working very hard. And then to have them on this other mission would would not be a realistic solution. Um, and, and Governor Evers, in, in his response to what Rebecca Clayfish said, he, he said that they're trying to invest uh, money into uh, fighting violence, uh, violence prevention. So he, he talked about how he invested forty five million dollars uh, into these uh, violence prevention programs across the state, including funding to Milwaukee's Office of Violence Prevention as well. What's interesting, Jason, is if you go back just a couple of years, not even that, but but go back certainly to the summer of 2020, all of the discussion, or not all, but much of the discussion around policing was uh, those who were pushing for defunding police because of all the protests, the George Floyd response uh, nationwide, and certainly here in Milwaukee, that was a big conversation. What's interesting now is we've got really no one's talking anymore about defunding police, but they're talking about what to do about crime and policing from different avenues. Oftentimes when you have the parties leading up to an election, they might disagree what are the top issues. There seems to be broad agreement that crime's a big issue, but their approaches are different. You talk about, uh, uh, you know, uh, gubernatorial candidate uh, Clayfish and, and what she would like to do, hiring a thousand police officers and so on and so forth. But what is Governor Evers saying? What are are others saying from sort of a liberal perspective on their approach to dealing with this issue that differs from those who say we need to just hire more cops and get more more bodies on the street? Well, and 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 also the Democrats are saying that uh, that it's it's a funding issue. They're 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 taking issue with the legislature on on shared revenue. 
Um, they, they say that uh, that the state legislature is shortchanging local communities, including Milwaukee, on the amount of money that they're getting back from the state. And they say that that is cutting into the budget. So in the last budget cycle, Mayor Barrett's final budget as the mayor of Milwaukee, uh, there was discussion about uh, about using federal funds to hire uh, a couple classes of police recruits. Um, and and there was some back and forth on that. Uh, it ended up that the uh, that the common council did agree to use uh, other funds. So they kind of did some accounting things to move funds around. So they weren't using technically using what they said. They're not technically using the federal funds to hire the the police recruits. But uh, but when we were when there was the big debate on whether to use these funds or not. Uh, and again, just to be clear, the the, the re- police recruits are coming into Milwaukee this year. The new the new recruits. Uh, there was a big debate if they didn't have that money to hire those recruits that the MPD was going to have some drastic changes. They were talking about all the different things that they might have to potentially cut if they didn't have that extra funding. And one of the uh, places that they were looking to possibly have to cut would be their new traffic safety unit, which was only a year old when this debate was happening. Not even a year old. Um, and and uh, and so again, there were some realistic. They were. They were laying out what they thought were going to be the real potential cuts uh, based on uh, about uh, the city's funding crisis. And, and you know, we're looking at a, at a looming uh, uh, pension crisis coming up as well in the future here. And, and so there's some big questions about how Milwaukee is going to continue to pay to have these police officers. And so city leaders now have been pushing for years now for uh, the opportunity to have uh, a referendum to uh, to. Uh, raise the sale, the county sales tax, a one percent, and they said if they were able to do that, that they would then have the funds to be able to continue to have the police force at the level it is right now and provide other services to the community. Uh, that has been something that has not been approved at the state legislature level. So it would have to go through the legislature. They would need to approve it, and then it would go to uh, voters in Milwaukee County on a referendum to approve raising the sales tax. Uh, not moving forward right now, and, and Democrats have said that they, they need that money to help stabilize the, the budget here as well as to continue to have the, the police force level at, at where it is. Uh, so that's one issue that's playing out. Again, the issue of shared revenue. Democrats saying they're not getting enough money from the state. I asked Rebecca Clayfish about that this week, and and she said it's all about priorities. You know, when you have a budget, you have money, and you can move money here, or you can move money there. And they need, she said, they, that the, that Mayor Barrett didn't do enough as mayor to invest in in public safety and security. So she's seeing it as making better use of the budgeting process to put the money into places like the police force. And, and of course, Democrats disagreeing and saying they're just not getting enough money from the state right now. So that's one issue that's, that's playing out right now when you're talking about, about the funding issue. Jason, with a, a mayor's race that is approaching quickly uh, and one of the biggest mayor's races in Milwaukee in, in nearly two decades, um, there's always the question of sort of the method, how the election will operate. And we've had a lot of questions in the last couple of years because the pandemic came around. And, and now this year, obviously, a, a contentious issue of of ballot drop boxes. What's going on with that and, and how uh, how might that impact this election and future elections? There's been a big legal debate over absentee ballot drop boxes in Wisconsin. Right now, it's very clear. I want to let everybody you know, know that right now, absentee ballot drop boxes are open in places like Richfield, in places like Milwaukee, uh, 
they are there's in Milwaukee, for example, there are every public library. So wherever your public library is, there's a drop box there. There's one outside of the municipal building downtown. I mean, they're they're all over the place. And there were 500 of them in the 2020 election, more than 500 utilized from com- in communities across the state in 2020. Uh, but there's been a legal battle over them because state law says, you know, that absentee ballots are to be mailed or delivered in person. So there's a question of, well, these unmanned drop boxes that are found, again, across the state, um, they're they're unmanned. So does that count as delivering in person? Does that count as being mailed? Um, that has played out in court. Uh, there was a Waukesha County judge who said, yeah, that, that breaks the law. The law does not justify having these unmanned drop boxes. Uh, then it went to the Court of Appeals and, and they decided to, at least right now, since absentee ballots were already in the mail from the clerks to voters, that uh, it would be too confusing at this point in the middle of a primary election to uh, to change things mid-course. So they said absentee ballot drop boxes can stay open for the for this for this primary and then uh, then the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty which is a which is a conservative law firm they appealed to the Supreme Court asked the Wisconsin Supreme Court to pick up the case and on Friday we did hear from the Supreme Court they are going to pick up that case but not until after this current election so drop bo- so long story short drop boxes are open in places like Milwaukee right now for this primary, and uh, the legal battle will play out after this election. So the primary for mayor comes up next, Jason, and and it's not like we probably view a presidential primary where the Democrats end up settling on their candidate, Republican voters settle on their candidate, and then those two meet in the general election. The race for mayor is technically a nonpartisan race. Is that right? That's right. These are nonpartisan positions. This is the nonpartisan spring primary, spring election coming up. It's nonpartisan, all of these races. So what will be settled? What will be resolved at this primary? And what will will go on to the general election? Right. So we're going to have at least in, in Milwaukee, where we have these seven candidates vying to be mayor to serve the rest of Tom Barrett's term. He, he resigned to take over uh, his new position as ambassador to Luxembourg. He was confirmed, and then the uh, acting mayor became the common council president, which is Cavalier Johnson. So we do have an acting mayor right now, and he's out and about you know, doing all his mayoral duties, and, uh, and uh, he'll be vying with six other candidates uh, on February 15th. That's the primary date. That's when those ballots that are being dropped off in drop boxes and early voting sites right now uh, will be counted uh, in in just over a week and a half, uh, and so these this field of seven, crowded field will be shrunk down to the two top vote getters. They'll move on to the April fifth general election. And I had mentioned at the beginning this uh, public policy polling poll that found crime the number one issue for fifty percent of likely voters in Wisconsin or in Milwaukee rather. Uh, and, and the same poll uh, did ask people who their first choice would be for mayor. And looking at those numbers, uh, Cavalier Johnson, the acting mayor, 25 percent. Uh, in second place, Bob Donovan, former alderman Bob Donovan, 18 percent. Coming in third was state senator Lena Taylor, who ran for mayor last time against Mayor Barrett and lost. But here's the key thing. 30 percent of likely Milwaukee voters say they're undecided right now. So this race really could turn. I mean, I think there's a lot of people, a lot of 
politicians, elected officials that are closely watching this race. They don't know what's going to happen. It, they Nobody can predict it. It's such a large field. And like I said, you only need a small sliver to get to win. If, if you can get that potentially 20, 23 percent, you might move on to the general election April 5th. So it's really very close and it depends on turnout. It depends on uh, how everything goes with getting your base in line. Uh, you know, for example, you see in the poll here, former Alderman Donovan, he's got 18 percent. He's got a, a core constituency of supporters in the past. He did run for mayor against Barrett as well and lost. Um, and, and he's seen as sort of the moderate conservative. He's going to be backed even by, uh, by Kevin Nicholson, who's a Republican running for governor. He's going to endorse Bob Donovan. You see conservatives kind of backing Bob Donovan. You see progressives uh, like Citizen Action, some of the unions backing Alderwoman Marina Dmitrievich. Um, so there's really just a lot of interest in this race, and it really could go any way, uh, this primary, in a week and a half. And we will find out in just a couple of months if Milwaukee history is a guide, Jason, in a couple of months, we may find out who the new mayor of Milwaukee is for the next 10, 15, 20 years. <laughs> that is right. I mean, when you look back, like I said, uh, Frank Zeid- uh, Mayor Zeidler left office in 1960, and then we've had three elected mayors since 1960. So these these mayors, they serve for a very long time, usually. But as uh, Mordecai Lee, a professor emeritus at UWM, has reminded me, when an election comes up, if there's a crisis in the city, for example, maybe the snow, there's a big snowstorm and, and the, the plows don't do a good job plowing or garbage service is delayed. I mean, the mayors are seen as uh, the leader of the city and, and there'll be a lot of questions for them if there happened to be something like a big snowstorm or a garbage problem or something like that. So, uh, But in the end, when you look at the track record here in Milwaukee, these mayors have served for many, many years. It is time to go off the record. This is the part of the podcast where we get a little more casual, have a little fun by answering a question for which we have not prepared. And here, once again, to ask us that question is executive producer Sarah Smith. What's going on, Sarah? Um, I kind of I'm just uh, an offside here, aside. I'm chuckling at myself because as you were reading that, we're on a Zoom and I could see myself and I started like fixing my hair like it matters. <laughs> <laughs> this video will never see the light of day. It's just I saw. We like, are okay. recording the <laughs> anyway. Zoom, so these could end up being the sort of like lost episodes that get posted later or something. So it's that it's is okay. true. I, as you that can, is true. You, you look at me. Clearly, I, I haven't even showered yet this morning, so well, that's happening hey, later. That, so, that yeah. baby blue T-shirt looks good on you. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, here's my question. It's a fill-in-the-blank. With the Olympics coming up, people are excited to see certain events. And so my question to you guys is, if blank were an Olympic sport, I'd win gold. <sighs> I mean... If blank... We're an Olympic sport. I'd win gold. I, probably generally, I would say if talking were an Olympic sport, because <laughs> I've always just talked a lot. Um, but to be more specific than just talking, because that's kind of broad, I, I think my kids might say if dad jokes were an Olympic sport, <laughs> I would at least be on the U.S. team. On the, like, I'd I would, be on the podium. <laughs> I'd get I'd get through qualifying. <laughs> At the very least. I don't know. Uh, that's I, it's probably the – I mean, I think that's the first thing that comes to mind. It, that, that's sad. That's the best I can come up with is that I just talk a lot. But You're 
you're kind of punny. Like you like you like that stuff. I like puns. I like to think through. You know, wordplay um, is is something that's always on my mind. I'll be driving down the road, like on, on the way to school in the mornings. My son is dead quiet, and he's like looking at his phone, and he doesn't want to be bothered. And he's got his headphones in, and I'll tap him on the shoulder, and he looks at me because he knows what's coming. And I'll I'll have been the whole way to his school thinking about like. So this is an example. This morning, I said, Chase, do you? You know what the nickname is for for Isaac, and he said, I, "No, I don't know." And I said, "It's Ike," and he goes, "Okay," and I said, "So if you go skating with a guy named Isaac, are you Ike skating?" Oh gosh! And he just—he didn't say a <laughs> word. He just—he just, he just <laughs> side eyed me, put his earbud back in, and went right back to what he was doing. So no words. Yeah, yep. that's. That's Wonderful. Olympic. That's Olympic level stuff because what prompted it was we passed the Ozaki Ice Center, and I was like, "Huh, I wonder if I can come up with a pun." And just like that, wow, um, you're so, amazing. Dad jokes. <laughs> you you really meant that was sincere. Flag flag bearer, <laughs> even. You're amazing. <laughs> that was the most sincere oh, thing sorry. you've ever said. Anyhow, <laughs> what about you, Jason? Well, I guess I need to get the gold medal here for not having anything that comes to mind. Like I have, I'm like, I don't really. There's nothing that comes to mind, so I guess I get the gold medal for having the lamest answer ever. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I, I think you'd get a lot of competition for that, depending on how many people we brought on this podcast. I mean, it's not like a, you know, I'm, I don't sing in the shower. I, do, I, I don't know. I mean, there's no, I, I, I'm not a good, it's, cooking is not a forte. Um, I, I just, nothing comes to mind right now, I guess. Is there a food you eat a lot of like yogurt eating or something? Oh man. (laughs) When, when I was, when I was single, I ate a mixture. So I guess I, okay, here, if I'm getting, so I've got a new one. I've got a gold medal here. Gold medal for craziest regular food consumption. So I would eat and healthy too. I would eat yogurt peanut butter and oatmeal and I would mix it up and the oatmeal was not cooked. I would put the oatmeal into the yogurt and then I would take a scoop of peanut butter and mix it all together, kind of frap it up together. And, and that would be, I would eat that several times a day regularly. And I would sometimes add the banana in there as well. Cause the banana is so delicious with the peanut butter and the yogurt. It's just, it really is, it really is amazing. It's a, it's an amazing treat. So I would eat that. That was my regular breakfast, lunch, and often my late night snack. When you say oatmeal, I, I I was thinking granola, but I guess they're a little different because granola is more of a crunch, right? But I mean, like granola, yogurt, peanut butter, that all makes sense together. So oatmeal seems like it works. Yeah. I mean, the oatmeal is not co- – the, the, when I did this, it was not cooked, which is probably not the best thing for digestion. But I did that for four or five years straight. It's a packet, like an instant yogurt or instant oatmeal packet? No, I would take the um, the raw like I would get oatmeal like Quaker from, oats and, and like a scoop of oats. Yeah, yeah, like a scoop of oats. So I I would get you know either those big tubs of Quaker oats or I would go to like the bulk food section of the of the grocery store when I don't know if they're still open right now in the pandemic, but I'd go and get big huge scoops of oatmeal and put them in bags and I would take that and I would just use it raw right into the oatmeal or right into the yogurt peanut butter. Okay. And potentially banana. That's that's also how Jason drinks his beer. It's just scoops of hops. <laughs> he just, just spoonfuls of hops. No no need to ferment. But I almost think that instant oatmeal would not be a bad idea. Like, because it has all the seasoning, you know, not seasonings, but like flavory. I don't know. Anyway, maybe I'll give it a try. Um, 
Okay, so mine is a little, I, I kind of struggled with this too. Like I came up with the question and I was like, wait, what's my answer? Um, but as I was walking from the newsroom to my desk here, I realized that if sweating were an Olympic sport, <laughs> I'd win gold. I have overactive sweat glands in the category of TMI. Um, I, I, I'm a sweater. Like, it's, it's not always, like, dripping off my face, but I'm always, like, God, I'm so hot. Like, I run hot, and so everything is, like, make sure I have layers. So if I need to, like, take off my sweater, like, T-shirts and tank tops, I have no problem just wearing tank tops when it's 40 degrees out. It's just it's so a problem. So if you work out, are you one of those people, like, you work out five oh minutes, gosh. it looks like you've... Done yes, a marathon? I literally, I literally take my coat off and get on like you know a bike or something, and I'm like, oh, I'm already sweating. It's it's not cute. Like some girls are like, I glisten. I was like, oh no, there's none of that. It's you, you might be gold medalist, but I think I am on the medal stand there because when I when I work out, I do like if I'm wearing a t-shirt, the whole top like this I'm, I'm wearing right now. It's an Anytime Fitness t-shirt. It, this whole section, I know you can't see it on the podcast, but I'm pointing basically my entire chest is just dark, sopping yes. wet. And that's that's after like a light jog. I mean, it doesn't yes. take much. I usually wear a black T-shirt because if I wore that light, light blue shirt that you have on, it'd be like dark blue by the end. I'm so gross. Anyway, but I'd win a gold medal. So there's that. <laughs> take that. I, I, Jason, when you went with yours, I thought you were going to throw in something like, you know, it's it's like peanut butter, banana, yogurt, and pickles or something like yeah. really outrageous. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't know if we've talked about my feelings about pickles, but you could mix them with I almost anything, and I am not a fan. Pickles, <laughs> go, blah. So even like if you have like a sloppy Joe, like there's not going to be pickles oh, in the Oh, absolutely drama. not. Like the the whole idea, the whole idea of McDonald's advertising the McRib with a couple of pickles on top oh, seems so to me like good. why would you ruin a, the delicious rib sandwich with pickles on? It just it seems insane to me. Can I say one thing about the McRib? And this is this is nothing to do about McDonald's at all because this was at my public school, grade school, um, cafeteria, and we had. You know, kind of the equivalent of a McRib sandwich. I don't know what what is it, just a rib sandwich, and at the yeah. at the school, and um, yeah. So I just I it was frozen in the middle, and I just ever since then I just cannot I just can't I can't have the can't have the rib sandwich. Sorry, folks. <laughs> I, this is what is known, and, and Dave Machuda editing this and listening to this podcast will will appreciate this. This is what is known as off the record creep. Our topic sort of creeps along. <laughs> hey, and by the way, what about? And then, you know, it's not even what you And asked. another thing. The gold medal of extending podcast length. Um, yeah, we, we all get that. Hey, uh, Jason, thank you uh, for, for joining us this week on Open Record. It's been great having you around. Thanks so much, guys. If you have a topic you would like us to discuss here on Open Record or an issue you think we should investigate for Fox 6 News, please send us an email to... Fox 6 Investigators at Fox.com. That is Fox, the number six, Investigators at Fox.com. As always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible, producer Pete, Dave Machuda, and of course, Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you have not done that already. We like the subscriptions. It helps with our metrics. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. With that, I'm Brian Polson, and we'll be back again next week.